Welcome to the Women of TBC podcast. You'll hear content from women's Bible studies and other women's events. For more information, visit templebiblechurch.org. Good morning, everyone. Good to see your smiling faces and hear all this wonderful fellowship going on. I do have a few announcements for you this morning. Uh, First of all, uh, we had some extra Lent devotionals from our Lent worship night. And so out on the the wooden table in the foyer, there's a few extra. Um, Please feel free to take one. They are specific to this year by date. And so I want them in the hands of people to to be reading them over these next, um, I think we have about five weeks left of the Lenten season. Um, Another very important announcement. We will not, I repeat, we will not be meeting next week. Next Thursday is spring break. So if you come up here, you will find it very empty. Um, So we are taking a break. And that means you have quite a long time to do the next lesson, right? But I want to give you some even better news. We are taking the next lesson, lesson 10, and we are dividing it into two. Okay, so this is very important that you understand this. It covers Paul's second and third missionary journey. So when we come back together, that will be March 24th, we will just be covering Paul's second missionary journey. That starts at the end of chapter 15 and goes to the beginning of chapter 18. Almost all the questions in the homework book deal with that journey. There's only one question in your homework about the third missionary journey. So you're going to use your homework book and do almost all those questions, and we'll be discussing the second missionary journey only. Now, the trick comes in the next week. That's when you have extra questions in your resource and discussion guide. Now, I realize some of you may no longer have this. Um, And so next week, in two weeks when we meet again, I will have the questions also reprinted and out on on the table for you. But you have them now, if you can find this, And find your way um, past the maps. Uh, Where is it? It's on page 14. You have extra questions for that week. And they're really good questions, so I really want you to um, to spend time with that. So everybody clear? We're not meeting next Thursday. When we do come together, you only have to have done half of the reading for that lesson. So I am not going to give you any excuses to not have at least read Acts the end of Acts 15 to 18, okay? All right, let's stand together. We're going we're gonna to sing a song that um, the reason I chose it today, um, it is in the same um, style of a hymn. <clears throat> Again, it's a recent hymn, but it's more of a prayer. And, and it really just touched my heart thinking about our brothers and sisters um, in Ukraine that I know we're all um, burdened for and, and sharing Um, bearing their burdens along with them in prayer and in thought. And so this is a prayer that I thought um, really could help us to stand in solidarity. This is called, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer.
My friend Carol Lynch up with me. And we're going to pray um, over, over Ukraine and over Carol this morning. She, she brings God's word to us. So join me in prayer. <clears throat> oh, God, you really are our rock and our redeemer. We know you are the rock and the redeemer of our friends all over the world and our hearts and our minds, our um, emotions are with our brothers and sisters in Ukraine and those who have left and are scattered all around neighboring countries. God, would you, would you be their peace? Would you be their comfort? Would you be their provider? Uh, would you use your church as you are demonstrating so mightily uh, to grant aid and comfort and um, refuge? For these people. And God, would you bring an end to this, to this fighting, to this conflict? Would you bring reconciliation and peace? Um, we trust you, God. You're able to do this. We've seen you do it time and time again in your word as we've studied. We know that you're a God who brings peace in the most remarkable ways. So we trust you, and we lift them up to you together. We pray for our, our sister Carol. Um, God, would you help her and give her strength and courage to make it through what you have put on her heart to share. And God, would you help us to put aside um, just the worries and concerns of the day? Would you help us to have our eyes open to see something new from you, our ears open to hear something new from you, our hearts open to receive and to put into practice what your spirit would press upon us? So thank you in advance for what you will do. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Good morning, and as I said last time, it really is a pleasure to be here with all your smiling faces. Last time, I introduced you to our five children, and fast forward seven years, and these are our 12 grandchildren, and they have added a whole new level of delight and diversity to our family. This past Christmas, it truly was a Christmas blessing have all of them in one place, seated and smiling and looking in the same direction. 
including my precious little three-year-old Beatrice, who is tucked under Michael's arms, as she is usually the most independent, as most three-year-olds are, and intent on going her own way. One of the things that all our family shares is the love of musicals. We all are truly musical nerds. Nothing thrills us more than to have someone on stage or screen suddenly break into song and dance or both. <clears throat> A classic musical that you don't see much anymore is Fiddler on the Roof. If you get a chance, it would definitely be worth your while to check it out. It is the story of a poor Jewish family living in a small European village, which interestingly enough was modeled on, modeled on a Jewish village in Ukraine around the beginning of the 20th century. One of the big production numbers of the musical is Tradition. And through some beautiful music and choreography, the traditions and the history of this family and their culture are beautifully laid out. Spoiler alert, it does not have a happy ending. But I always forget that when I think about the beautiful music and the wonderful story of this family. The tradition that the Jewish people understood and lived by was based on God's covenant with Abraham that we see in Genesis 22:17. They saw themselves as God's chosen people, and God is saying to Abraham, I will surely bless you. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, so that in your offspring, all nations of the earth will be blessed. Fast forward 1,398 pages in my Bible, and we have the Gospels. The Messiah they have been waiting for has come, and he has begun his earthly ministry. In three short years, he begins to turn the traditions of the Jewish people upside down and shows them that he is the meaning of the law and the prophets had been pointing to him all along. Jesus is the one they had been waiting for and they did not need to wait any longer. Just repent and believe in him by faith. The book of Acts to me has become known as the book of action. Just look at page 11 in your resource and study guide. There is a lot going on in these 28 chapters. Even though one commentator said Acts could have covered as much as 30 years, everything seems to be happening as li at lightning speed. The conversion of so many Jewish people, the miracles performed by the apostles, the preaching and outreach of Paul, the vast spread of this new teaching and preaching of the word to the ends of the earth. It seems to be happening faster than we can keep up. Rachel's lesson last week leads us so well into chapter 15. She really helped us get a good picture of this very important church in Antioch and how it and the teachers there were becoming the hub of this new and burgeoning faith. 
And now, in chapter 15, all of this action comes to a climactic point in how now are all these new ideas and all these Gentile believers and the tradition covenant Jewish believers going to go forward in unity? Acts 14 ended with Paul and Barnabas coming back to their home church in Antioch after an extensive and successful missionary journey throughout much of the region known as Galatia. Rachel also gave us a full and deeper understanding of what the leadership's roles were that Paul and Barnabas were assuming. They had planted churches all along their journey, and these early churches were usually a mix of Jewish and Gentile believers, but all were believers in Jesus Christ. There was success and tension all along the way as the new faith was growing and spreading. Then we come to Acts 15.1, where some men from Judea, these were Jewish Christian believers, came to Antioch to challenge what Paul and Barnabas had been teaching up to this point. The issue at hand was that it was very difficult for some Jewish believers to accept that these new Christians could be a part of this new faith unless they became Jews first and submitted to all the Jewish laws and rituals. Acts 6-7 is a remarkable verse. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. An interesting point is that this sect of the Pharisees had become known as the circumcision party, and they believed that circumcision was still the path to salvation. So here lies the challenge. The Pharisees, the keepers of the tradition, had spent their whole lives being scrupulous about keeping the law, and now they did not believe that these new believers could enter on an equal plane without keeping the law of Moses. Even though they saw and believed that Jesus was the Messiah, they had a lifetime and a heritage of keeping the law, and they felt this should not be discarded, but that the new believers should add their new faith to the already existing law. So, in Acts 1-5, we have some men coming from Judea, which is the center of the Jewish religion, coming to Antioch, teaching, teaching, that unless the Gentile believers were circumcised, they could not be saved. Basically, they were saying, Paul, You have got it all wrong, and this is how it needs to be. So, this is a major point. This is a salvation issue. How were the new believers to be saved and made right with God? This was not going to be resolved here in Antioch, and it was considered such an important point that Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were sent to Jerusalem. And of course, they continued witnessing and preaching 
and they brought joy to all the brothers along the way. So now we come to this pivotal point in Acts 15, and where the way forward of the new church was to be determined. Nothing could have been more critical. As rapidly as the message of Jesus Christ was spreading, everyone had to be on the same page of Christ alone for salvation. Christ plus nothing else was the way to be saved. This had to be addressed, and the leaders of the church at Antioch saw clearly the importance of this issue, and they sent their leading men to Jerusalem, a distance of about 300 miles, no small journey on foot, to address and work out these issues with the apostles and the elders there. The events in chapter 15 have been a long time coming. Jesus came so that the good news was to be taken to the ends of the earth, and this, by its scope, included the vast population of Gentiles. Thus, the terms by which the Gentiles would be included and embraced would have to be clearly stated, and the time for these new guidelines had arrived. They were not content with each church sorting this out on their own with each congregation being allowed to have their own opinion. This was a salvation issue, and how they were to be right with God had to be clearly laid out. They could not agree to disagree. This went to the heart of Christianity and had to be resolved. Satan would have loved to have loved to divide the early church at this point and have deep division and theological warfare erupt. So this, so how is this going to be resolved? How it was going to be resolved was huge. The Jewish nation began with an inherited faith and belief in the universal creator God, moving through their history to the fulfillment of his plan through the coming of the long-promised Messiah, the seed who would crush the head of the evil one, the one who would fulfill and explain the laws and traditions that had always pointed to him. Now came the determining time of how the new Gentile believers would be admitted to and find a full place within the new global people of God. And more specifically, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus. Does Jesus save you or do you save yourself? Is it what Christ did on the cross or is it what you can do to be saved by him? The precise issue facing the Jerusalem council is unless you are circumcised and obey the entire law, that faith in Christ is insufficient in itself for salvation. How can law-observing Jewish Christians and law-ignoring Gentile Christians coexist? How can authentic Christian fellowship exist, and how can these roadblocks be overcome? The meeting seems to begin in Acts 15.5 by the Pharisaic believers stating that it is necessary to be circumcised and to order 
them to keep the whole law of Moses. An interesting point was made by one commentator in that they called themselves believers, but was their trust fully in the risen Christ? The promised seed from all the way back in Genesis 3. An application for us is, are we believers that truly trust in the sovereignty and grace of the Lord alone? Or are we believers that by our words and actions and reactions in difficult circumstances make others doubt that we trust in the sovereignty and authority of our Savior alone to save and provide? I admit my first reaction to world and natural affairs many times is worry and anxiety. I'm not always happy with circumstances and family relationships that I face. And more often than not, in fact, most times, I don't handle, handle this well. But I know where to turn. I know who I can trust. And I know who will accept me as I am in my humanity, in weakness. And I have his word. His word that says, do not fear. Be anxious for nothing, for he will uphold us in his righteous right hand. In every circumstance, he will be our guide because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he is all we need. And whatever the future holds, we can face it with Jesus. Because no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can imagine the things which God has prepared for those who love and trust in him. The Pharisees wanted to keep the old way as the framework of the new faith, with circumcision and the law as the way to have a right relationship with God. Now we come to the three defining contributions, contributors to this debate. Peter, Paul and Barnabas, and James. Peter. <clears throat> Allie, two weeks ago, gave us a good description of the major role Peter played among the Gentiles. Peter's baptism of Cornelius and his family is a pivotal point in how and why the Gentiles were be, be ex, ex, uh, accepted. This is to be Peter's final contribution in Acts, but it is a critical one. Peter's phrase in Acts 15.8 just as he did to us in Pentecost, shows God's irrefutable acceptance of the Samaritans and Gentiles here. In 15.9, Peter is stating that God showed that he accepted them, the Gentiles, and he made no distinction between Jews and Gentiles. And through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, he purified and circumcised their hearts by faith. Peter's statement in 15.10 added a powerful argument and a reminder of what they were asking these new believers to adhere to. 
the imposition of the law of Moses placed a yoke that neither of neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. Peter was stating that the law keeping that was being asked of the Gentiles was effectively eliminating grace and making human action a part of the acceptance of God and was dependent on what man could do for himself to be saved. Acts 15.11 states, And we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord just as they will. Peter gives the new order, and this truly turns things upside down. The Jews were now going to be saved as the Gentiles were, by grace, through faith in the Lord Jesus, and not through circumcision in the law. Paul and Barnabas. God, in his sovereignty, was already preparing Paul's heart and giving his wisdom on how this was going to work out. Paul had just returned from a very successful missionary journey through Galatia, and the letter to the Galatians is believed to have been written closely around these events, sometimes the events of Acts 15, and we get a pretty good insight into the mind of Paul at this time by reading parts of his letter. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians, and we are going to read some of these verses together. The confusion about the issues regarding this new gospel. Let me see. I'm missing one here, ladies, so we'll just just kind of follow along with me. The confusion about this new issue regarding the new gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ must have already begun, because right in the beginning, Paul says in Galatians 1, 9, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, the gospel of Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. That is pretty strong language. Okay, moving to Galatians 2, 7, and Paul directly names the new believers that he was sent to minister to. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, then we're going to skip to 2, 9, and it says, so that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised, stating clearly that both groups were to be included and ministered to and given the gospel without restrictions. Then he specifically states the position regarding the law in Galatians 2, 15-16. We ourselves are Jews by birth, and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. 
So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul has demonstrated powerfully for the inclusion of the Gentiles and makes the case that this was clearly foretold and affirmed in the Old Testament. Paul presented the presence of God and his boundless power and majesty in completing his ultimate plan for all mankind. Now we come to James. In Acts 15, 16, James now makes the argument that acceptance of the Gentiles is in agreement with the words of the prophets. James quotes Amos 9, 11. No, hang on. Well, 15. There we go. Sorry about that. James quotes, uh, in Acts 15, 16, James now makes his argument, and he, clo- he quotes 9, Amos 9, 11, and 12. But he also subtly weaves together several other prophetic texts that round out his argument. Words from Hosea 3.5, Jeremiah 12.15, and Isaiah 45.12 are also in the background here. Okay. This is so beautifully written, and what a powerful and encouraged message, encouraging message even for us today. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may see the Lord, and also all the Gentiles are called by my name. Thus says the Lord, who has made these things known from old. In Acts 15, 19, Peter says, It is my judgment my conviction, my verdict, that they should not trouble these Gentiles uh, who have turned to, the, to God. James then proposes several minimal, minimal points of law-keeping to be followed so that true table fellowship can be observed. His point is that Gentile Christians need to continue to show sensitivity to Jewish customs even though they are not obligated to follow them all themselves. James' proposal clearly meets with general general consent. The primary issue of retaining the grace of God in Christ as the one basis of salvation has been clearly established. And the idea that circumcision is necessary is emphatically refuted. However, The brotherly sensitivity to the Jewish Christian's concerns is also observed by affirming these four prohibitions, which will enable warm communion to be established and maintained between Jewish and Christian believers. A familiar and important verse is 1 Corinthians 9.19. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, 
so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. I myself am not outside God's law, but I am under Christ's law. An application here is we are saved by grace, but are we gracious? Do others see the grace of God in us? Are our words and actions gracious to those who are not like us or to those we may not agree with? As we move through this life and as our world gets smaller and smaller, we will continue to come in contact with more and more people who may seem different than us and do things differently than we do. But through our words and actions, do they see us as someone who is blessed by grace and because of that is gracious? An agreement had been reached, and in Acts 15, 22, it says a letter has been composed and messengers were chosen and dispatched to deliver the letters. This was a delicate and important communication that had to be hand-delivered to the believing community and then have the assurance that they, each new church, would go forward with correct and accurate information. The position which had been arrived at, therefore, simply brings the church in line with God. The result is that there are no burdens, no requirements for doing well. One commentator said their vision was big enough to see the ministry of Christ not as a reformed movement within Judaism, but as good news for the whole world. And the Church of Christ was not a Jewish sect, but it was an international family of God. The principle of Gentile inclusion in that one people of God through faith in Christ alone was firmly established without any additional requirements. So, as we think of these things and how they apply to us, in reality, do we live and act in certain ways to try and get saved? Do we have certain habits and routines to try and stay saved? Or do we live our lives and serve our Savior with the blessed assurance and freedom that we are saved? I think a beautiful summary verse written by Paul is found here in Galatians. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live in God. I have been crucified with Christ. It no longer lives. It is no, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. I'm going to leave you with another anacronym for today, 
and I will let, meditate, let you meditate and find your own application for it. Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. Ladies, our debt was nailed to the cross, and our salvation and place in the family of God is secure because of him. Let us thank God for his gift of grace together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your gift of grace that through your Son we have a way to be part of your family by faith alone. Lord, I ask a special blessing on each woman that hears these words, and I thank you for the special plan and provision that you have for each of our lives. You are our strength and our comforter, and we freely commit our present and our future to you. Father, we join corporately to pray for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. Strengthen their hearts and their bodies. And Lord, let our prayers continue to encourage and preserve them during this time. Lord, bring a swift end to this conflict and help us to look for you in these days and to trust in you as the one who holds the future and preserves those who put their trust in you. Lord, it is in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much, Carol. Remember, guys, next week is spring break. Have a wonderful week off, and we will see you back here on March 24th. You came down without my help. I was going to give you a hand. <laughs>